0: Please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the bell so that you get notified every time we drop an episode and you don't miss out on
1: anything. If you're about to listen, please just subscribe. You can always, you know, come back and unsubscribe if you don't like it, but please subscribe first. Thank you. Do it right now. Right now. Hit the button. (laughs) Let's go.
0: Welcome to the Dirty Lie podcast, a podcast about facts, figures, and weird things from the past. I'm your host, Dez, and I'm here with my co-host...
1: TMT, welcome to the podcast.
0: Each week, I give my co-host, Tim Tayo, three quote-unquote facts, and he has to figure out what is true
1: and... What is a dirty lie? What
0: is the dirty lie? What has actually happened in history? Hello. Hey, what's up? Hi, welcome.
1: How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Welcome to the Dirty Lie podcast. It's Dez and...
1: TMT, what's up with you
0: I'm I would be happy I would be happy but today I realized how many uh female senators are going to be in the 10th Senate so How many I'm really upset 3 3 3 3 out of a 101 Yeah 3 You're Okay are going to be women Wow I think there's 15 women in Senate and House put together which puts representation of women at about 3.5% mm, in the NA. That's life.
1: not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. That's not a good number. It's
0: just about terrible. Mm. And so, of the three female senators, one is Iriti T. Kingibe, mm-hmm. um, the ex wife of Babagana Kingibe, mm. who is like sec- Secretary of the Federation and, I mean, a very important man for yeah. a very long time. Well, I think we've spoken about him on this podcast before, and we we're talking about Nigeria South Africa relations. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two are former deputy governors. Yeah, one is Riki's, uh deputy, mm-hmm. and the other is Ambode's deputy. Was was yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So both of them, were, you know, were deputy governors. But yeah, man, disgraceful. None of the women um, from the ninth senate made it back into the
1: senate mm. even the one that shatima dug the roads up
0: well she so natasha, natasha um, Akobi. Um, it wasn't Shatima it oh. was Yahaya Yahaya yeah, yeah, yeah Kogi yeah she lost her elections mm. lost quote unquote because mm. those elections were marred with a lot <laughs> of irregularities to be yeah. it lightly allegedly yeah I mean not alleged the allegedly vi- <laughs> they were <really laughs> there's videos I'm of a local government chairman know. in Kogi State snatching yeah, ballot boxes <laughs> yeah, the law is the law we'll just say they allegedly they also dug up the road leading to her village that
1: was crazy and she fixed them Same. She, uh, she fixed them backwards. All with of her them. Yeah, ah. So
0: that people would be able to uh, vote. Yeah. And access. And Aida could be able to a- access her mm-hmm. environment. It's. I mean. Yeah, man. We need more women and more female representation in Nigerian politics. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just bad. I mean, there could be one female governor after next week's elections if mm-hmm. they hold it next week. Do you think they will? Yeah, I mean, Mm. why not at this point? I feel like everyone's exhausted. People are done. Like, people are done. If I
1: hear the word election again, it will be too soon.
0: Like, you guys have won. Just let us get this over with. (laughs) Honestly, like, Nigeria, well done. You beat us. Mm. Congrats. Um, But that's not even what we're talking about today. We are not talking about government or women. Mm. We are talking about African participation in World War II. Which we've spoken about before, sort of, like, Nigerian participation, Burma boys. Mm-hmm. But uh, today I'm going to talk about South Africa.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Ready for these facts?
0: 100%. Fact one. Job Maseko mm-hmm. was a South African soldier during World War II. Mm-hmm. And he escaped. Um, he was taken by as a prisoner of war by... Germany, Germany yeah. World, and he escaped by making a bomb out of a milk tin
1: hey we've all been there right
0: <laughs> turning a dino milk tin into <laughs> a bomb um, so that's back one
1: is this a black South Africa yes Okay.
0: I'm talking about black people today oh. <laughs> um, number two the SS Mendi. A ship that was carrying predominantly South African soldiers mm. in World War One drowned when it was hit by SS Darrow, another British ship, mm. due to the reckless action of the other British ship, like... Just SS Mendigo was just a smaller ship mm. with Africans on board, so why did he need to be careful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he hit the ship, and everyone, majority of the people, Dead. drowned. Yeah, died. And it's the largest loss of life um, friendly fire of South Africans. No, it's the largest loss of life during the First World War by South Africans. Wow. Yeah. And fact number three: in nineteen forty nine, coal miners. Who had been forced to work during World War II, like without pay, went on strike in Pretoria and a majority, not a majority, but a significant amount, over 20 coal miners, were killed.
1: I think the dirty lie is number three.
0: You think number three is the dirty lie? Yeah. You think the coal miners strike?
1: Yeah. Why? I don't know, it just feels like it doesn't feel real.
0: It doesn't feel real. It doesn't
1: feel real. It's possible. I mean.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, thank you. you. You got it, right? <laughs> okay,
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the reason why I ended up pressing all the buttons is because you haven't gotten one right in so long. Oh, right. <laughs> I just didn't even know what it was anymore.
1: <laughs> has, it that, has it been that long? It has
0: been ages i think
1: the trivia has really diluted my confidence yeah really yeah the trivia has really been
0: i thought it would like help your confidence
1: no it's, i've been i've been i've been losing
0: oh i'm sorry yeah vibes.
1: no it's fine i I mean i'm firing on all cylinders and on my other parts of life the other parts of my life but the trivia is really <laughs> the one can... i've really been fighting for my life
0: i'm really sorry so yeah. you're right in 1949 you had a minor strike mm. But it was in Iva Valley in Enugu State mm. in Nigeria. Mm. And 21 miners were unfairly killed. Yeah. So it's the Enugu miner strike that I used.
1: You know, it's funny because in my head I was like, I don't really hear about South African coal mines, diamond mines, sure. Um,
0: oh, so it was the fact that I said coal.
1: Yeah, coal threw me off. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. If you said Enugu diamond mines as well, that would have thrown <laughs> me off. <out. laughs>
0: We are going to start with Job Maseku.
1: Job Maseku.
0: Job Maseku.
1: Job Masuku.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Masuku. Mm. Uh, for the non yoruba people, that means don't cry. I don't know why he just did that.
1: So. I feel like Job. Job is someone you tell not to cry often. Uh huh. Job is someone you just tell not to cry. Biblically uh-huh. speaking.
0: This was a very smart man. So, Job Masako was employed as a delivery man in Springs in South Africa before he volunteered for service with the native military corps. So, in World War One, England is a colonial power in South Africa. But this is post the British and Boer wars, mm-hmm. right? So, this is um, post uh, conflict between the white English and the white Afrikaners in yeah. South Africa. Um, we haven't really touched on that, but we probably really should We definitely
1: day. should. It's a very interesting part of history.
0: Yeah. And that's where you get concentration camps being used for the first time, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in a widespread manner on African soil. Well, anywhere, actually.
1: Yeah. I feel like any techniques when it comes to cutting edge, <coughs> racism, or xenophobia can kind of be traced to South Africa on some level. I
0: I mean, the British, not South Africa. Yeah, the Africa, British were <laughs> like, yeah. Very yeah. specifically, the British <laughs> use this against Africans, which yeah. is even other white people so Mm -hmm. um but yeah so when the first world war comes about they have a native military corps Mm -hmm. um they need workers and they need native soldiers but they don't want to arm them yeah there was a fear that if they armed black south africans they would bring them back to South Africa Mm. so the white South Africans in power in South Africa both the Africaners and the British agreed that uh, the Native Military Corps would be unarmed Mm -mm -mm. they would mostly work the front lines, some of them would be, they'll work like health transportation, like they'll do every single thing and fight and literally sometimes be the first to have to go across like minefields and stuff like that, Mm. but not be armed, Mm. And so you have to imagine that these men are being forced to fight and work for the British Empire and have no arms. No equipment. No equipment. Now, Job Maseko was serving in the Native Military Corps. And so he was part of the South African 2nd Infantry Division. Also, interestingly enough, the ANC had supported like supporting the british union actually during world war one and then in world war Two, the anc actually was like okay we support you but you have to arm us mm-hmm. because this is kind of demasculating and it is also dangerous for mm-hmm. us to go to war without arm uh, but there was some pushback on that in south africa but anyways these men volunteer and when you say volunteer there's always a uh, a lack of certainty by how many actually volunteered and how many were, had conscripted. were conscripted but job maseko was a delivery driver mm. and he volunteers quote-unquote and he joins the south african second infantry division the division was formed in 1940 and it served in the western desert company and his division was captured by german and italian forces at Tobruk on the 21st of june 1942 so he becomes a prisoner of war mm. When the Major General Hendrik Klopper Who was the commander of the South African Army I'm sorry, the South African 2nd Infantry Division mm. Surrendered to the Germans With 32,000 men Of that 32,000 men 1,000 of them were the native military corps um, Obviously the General Hendrik Klopper was white because, <laughs> of course, they didn't give us positions, did they? And yeah. by us, I mean black uh, people.
1: And by Klopper, I mean that's a very non black that's a Dutch name. Hendrik. <laughs> General Kl- Hendrik. Klopper.
0: <laughs> yes, the Axis capture of Tobruk or the fall of Tobruk um, that happened in June was in libya so Tobruk is in libya so this is north africa and the capture, the prisoners of war compromised contingents from britain india south africa and other allied nations so it wasn't just south africans mm-hmm. and the germans and the italians treated their white prisoners of war different from their black prisoners of war so the black prisoners of war were turned into laborers mm-hmm. they were forced to do hard labor Um, a lot of the white prisoners of war were flown were taken into different prisoner of war camps whereas the black prisoners of war had to like do work. Like they essentially just turn them into slaves. They're yeah. like, oh, we have I know what to do with the Negroes. <laughs> Make them work. <laughs> so Maseko was obviously working with other South Africans during other native South Africans I'd like to point out, um, while a prisoner of war. And he was, I guess, thinking of a way to escape. Um huh? So who was Yes. He apparently had experience with. Explosives. Um, He apparently also, for some time, worked as a miner in South Africa. So, not just a delivery driver, but also a miner, and had exposure to explosives and how they work. Part of the prisoner's forced labor was involved in loading and unloading supplies from German freight ships in the port of Tobruk. With his pre war experience and his knowledge of explosives, While unloading a cargo on the 21st of July 1942, he realised that it was a cargo with a lot of petrol. Now, you know, this twenty first of July, this man has only been a POW for one month. Mm-hmm. So this shows that like he, he didn't waste time. <laughs> I mean, this must have been the first. <laughs> he must have just been waiting for the first. <laughs> the first,
1: the first sign.
0: The first sign. And You know, oh, God, I'm waiting for a sign. God, I need a sign, and he just wake up one day God. and like.
1: <laughs> he's like, God, I need to. Hear, I need to help me fuel my escape. <laughs> and then he sees petrol and he's like. Come on, man. I see you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you,
0: God. And guess what? Like, he didn't. It's not like he saw the petrol and he's like, okay, I'm going to plan tomorrow. Mm. No. (laughs) He saw the petrol.
1: He knew what had to be done. And he knew
0: what had to be done immediately. (laughs) And they were offloading supplies. So they were offloading supplies of like food, stuff, and everything. And so he took a milk can and straw and then he spoke to like three other two or three other of his south african prisoners and also black yeah the native
1: of course yeah oh (laughs) the white white ones that reported it yeah
0: and also like the white ones are not even doing this labor yeah true 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 i I Um, forgot about that yeah so he talks to his guys he's like you guys there's petrol on this ship Mm. (laughs) we got to get going Mm. and so apparently the other guys distract the german guards and are talking to them and like just you know distract them that's how like i imagine
1: a bunch of south african men distracting germans
0: how do you imagine
1: a bunch of... like just one, I of, want to know? one of them just goes da, da, de, da, and they all start singing in this harmonious what perfect choir what is wrong with you do you know it's funny because I, I was talking to so about it it's, i think it was yesterday and your mom walks past and she's like they have it in them it's true <laughs> do you remember <laughs> that <laughs> She's just like yeah, they have it in them. Like,
0: <laughs> no, because South African harmonies hit different. Yeah, like I just—it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are also just rude. Yeah, yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what
1: <laughs> people are dying. Yeah, yeah so to distract them.
0: Yeah, so he asks them to distract them, and he makes a bomb a wick and uh, a kind of like bomb out of this milk can and mm. straw and petrol mm. um he lights the you know the straw or whatever like his, this his makeshift bomb mm. he lights it up He like tells his guys we're good to go let's bounce <laughs> <laughs> they get off the ship and soon he can see smoke and then a huge explosion mm. Kaboom! he sinks the whole ship The whole ship goes down. (laughs) The Germans lose a whole a whole ship. Um, How many milk can? I don't even know, bro. (laughs) They didn't give me those I didn't check for the numbers. But this man made a bomb out of a milk can mm. and took down a
1: whole German ship. That's a legend. Basically dude. by himself. Yeah, that's a legend.
0: Legendary stuff. And then...
1: What kind of ship was it? Was it like a U-boat or like
0: a... No, it was... Um, it wasn't a U-boat, but it was a It was a German freight ship. So this is oh. quite big because it's bringing in supplies. yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's not a U-boat, but I'm not sure. Yeah after they light the fuse after they destroy the ship in this explosion and uh, subsequent fire Mm. they manage to later escape Mm. and they walk three weeks job masako walks three weeks through the desert lines so, first of all, then Libya.
1: Yeah, I know, the, you know, there's a the thing is, okay, so where does he end up? Is it in Egypt? Where does he end up?
0: El Almin.
1: El Almin. Because yeah. I know Taruk is also like, it was really, um, if you, if you, there's this. TV show I asked you to watch the Rogue, um, I think it was called Rogue Faction or something. But it's basically about how the SAS was formed in World War Two, mm-hmm. and Taruk was a very important. It was, it's a very strategic point. Taruk, Taruk, sorry, yes. Taruk. It's a very strategic point because it's basically yeah. how you enter Africa from the north, essentially, mm. and between it and the rest of the strongholds in Africa is just pure desert. Yeah. So that must have been a crazy trek. He
0: walked. So before escaping, he also stole radios. Mm. So he stole these radios and I guess he was just able to like... Use the radios to understand, because he was still in enemy territory. Yes, it's all enemy territory it's as well. All enemy yeah. territory. So like, it's not just that he kaboomed the ship and thus walked. He ma- he managed to spend three weeks walking in desert in enemy territory with other people. Um, yes, he went back with some native people. So, but it doesn't say how many other people he is with mm. because the, most of the stories I read just talk about him walking. Mm. I don't know if he was alone, but I don't think he was.
1: So what, he uses the radio to figure out their patterns and all yes. that. Yes. Wow. Yes. I mean he's learning German on the fly? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I don't know. Maybe he's using... He picked using... up some...
1: Yeah, he would have picked up some at work in as well in that month, honestly. But, that,
0: but that's crazy. Yeah,
1: to pick up enough to be able to survive It's insane. Just
0: to be able to survive three weeks in the desert, even if there was no enemy there.
1: Even if he spoke the language <laughs> fluently. No.
0: <laughs> like, it's actually crazy. Yeah. I, I forgot to say, like, in case you guys are wondering how he made this bomb, he used the gunpowder from bullets... Mm that were on the ship mm. um, the milk tin and a long fuse made out of straw Okay. and he made that into a bomb and I need you guys to understand something as part of the native armed like core he received zero military training mm. like they refused to train the native yeah so this is all personal yeah. experience and ingenuity like this man <laughs> He receives zero training. It's no one taught him how to do this. Like they, d- imagine like you come and you enlist thousands of people and you just don't train even them. train them. Is Which a- is also what the French did yeah. with the Kenny, can Can't remember we yeah. talked about this. The yeah. Senega- Senegalese Yeah. refused to train these men and put them in literal like suicide mission type of of assignments. Mm-hmm. Same thing with why they sent Nigerian soldiers to Burma. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Uh, someone's probably gonna die, so might as well be the Nigerians who those, die."
1: Those boys train themselves, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they train themselves. Yeah. So um, he used his old German radio he learnt about um, the British General Montgomery's success at El Alamein, mm-hmm. and he made his way there hiking across the desert for mm. three weeks to rejoin the Allies. For his heroism he was presented with the British Military Medal for Bravery.
1: Yes.
0: Um, the Germans never figured out who wrecked their ship or how. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: sure they know now.
0: Sure know i'm that. sure the
1: germans are listening to the podcast like <laughs> <laughs> nay,
0: nay, nay, nay. um and yeah some people have been fighting for him to receive a higher medal the victoria cross mm-hmm. um and they, that's
1: definitely victoria cross material
0: um they believe that because of his skin color and south african racial policies that's why he got the military medal which is like the easiest one to get it's basically the first yeah. stage of medal <laughs> yeah um there is i did find a south african who was given a higher medal um
1: you see on the list of people for this episode no let's talk about him. i should if you want why not let's let's give some people their flowers
0: so as part of the native defense force you had stretcher bearers mm. had a number of African stretcher bearers which were the men who would go and essentially like run to the front lines and you know get people who have been hurt mm. um, and they would often have to do this through minefields so mm. they can be shot dead or just, like step on your mine and die greatly inju- gravely injured and stuff like that yeah It was usually battalions of native military guards that they used for this role. Mm. And so you would have uh, men from Zululand, but you'd also have some Indian, South African Indian men being used for this role. Mm. The, The highest award gained by an African soldier in the Second World War was the DCM, which is the Distinguished Conduct Medal and it was awarded to a stretcher bearer called lucas majosi the dcm is the second highest british award for gallantry after the victoria cross mm. and it was awarded to majosi during the epic battle at el alamin which commenced on the 23rd of october 1942 when Montgomery attacked the German and Italian forces. So the General Montgomery that won at LLM, I mean, that's mm-hmm. battle that uh, Masako heard on the radio that <laughs> let him know it was time to yeah. Um This other guy was saving This other lives. guy was saving a ton of people's lives. They had to breach a German minefield which had been sown with more than half a million mines. What? According to some this SA military yeah. Records,
1: half a million mines.
0: That sounds like
1: that's five hundred thousand mines. That's a bit crazy. That's a lot of mines.
0: Why would they use that many mines? But this is what I (laughs) am reading, and it said that soon after the battle began, the um, some divisions had been pinned down in the mine in the minefield by German machine gun and artillery fire, and the the regiment was suffering very severe casualties. And throughout the night of the 23rd of October, the stretcher bearers worked under heavy enemy fire, mm. tending to the wounded and evacuating them mm. from the battlefield. Mm. So I will tell you Lucas Majosi's, um, the citation for why he was given the Distinguished Conduct Medal. I'll just read the citation. Mm-hmm. On the night of October 23rd to 24th, Majozi accompanied his company into action as a stretcher-bearer. In the later stages of the action, when he was within a hundred yards of the enemy mm. and under heavy fire, he thought nothing of his personal safety and continued to evacuate casualties assisted by co-bearers. He was then wounded by shrapnel, but he continued to evacuate the wounded. Mm. Told by a medical por- corporal to go back to the regimental aid post, He replied that there were many wounded men still in the minefield. He went back and with the assistance of other stretcher bearers, he brought back more wounded men. After his co-bearer had become a casualty, he did not waver. He carried wounded men back alone on his back to the aid post. When he was eventually told by the company commander to go back, he smilingly refused and remained on duty working incessantly until he collapsed in the morning through sheer exhaustion, stiffness, and loss of blood. Mm. His extreme devotion to duty and gallant conduct under continuous enemy fire throughout the night saved the lives of many, many wounded men who would have otherwise died through loss of blood or possibly further wounds because Mm -hmm. they were in the battlefield. Mm. And so for that he was awarded the dcm distinguished conduct medal mm.
1: yeah
0: the first south african division major general her mouse I, I cannot pronounce this one <laughs> um said of majosi in egypt after the battle he said majosi of majosi this is what he said This soldier did the most, he did the most magnificent and brave things. With a number of bullets in his body, he returned time after time into a veritable hell of machine gun fire to pull out wounded men. He is a man of whom South Africa can be well proud. He is a credit to his country. And that is the guy, the African who won the highest medal, June.
1: Sounds like, he's an extraordinary man, clearly
0: extraordinary i always say like i
1: think fear is like when you know what you're going like bravery is like when real bravery is when you know what you should be scared of so Mm. he had gone into the thick of it yeah and he he had experienced it and he still had the ability to like harm himself or steal himself and go back going back into that that's crazy i
0: think for me like when i was reading this the point where i would be like okay you took bullets and kept going like that's brave that's Mm -hmm. that's mental and physical strength Mm -hmm. like to be literally riddled with bullets and injured and continue going to save other people's lives Mm -hmm. but also like you're a stretcher bearer your co-bearer the person who was carrying this thing with you Mm -hmm. became a casualty Mm -hmm like in front of you in this process and yeah. you still continue. still on and you were ca- you're an injured man and you're carrying men on your back
1: insane stuff really. insane
0: um he returned home after service and um to the t- his birth town Zastron in South Africa and he died in 1966 I believe mm. Job Maseko died in 1952 um a bit in poverty uh Mm -hmm. he was buried with borrowed money Mm -hmm. in the painville township cemetery in springs Mm -hmm. But now um to honour him, the community of Quatema near Springs has a primary school in the township named after him. Nice. And the main road linking the town of Springs to Quatema Township has also been named after
1: him. Okay, that's what's up. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's two cool South African men who um <laughs> fought for the British. It's I, I mean yeah, let's let's uh, let me not go into it too much but I think uh all these like on these these sacrifices that are usually not even spoken about or not celebrated uh do pain me. <laughs> <laughs> they do pain me. Because it's also how the it's like when people talk about like a ceiling for, for black people like you have to work twice as hard or like you can't pass this uh level. It's literally like there was a highest level that a black man can attain in the military it's not like oh there's an unspoken rule it's written (laughs) and you can't get training you can't get weaponry and this isn't just the british it's also the french you know it's also america like there's
1: and this is war people are like their lives on the line their lives
0: are on the line and they're like "Eh." (laughs) uh I mean they're not like I'm scared of the Nazis but not that scared. Not scared enough to give a black man a gun. <laughs> like really? Okay, so let's go to the SS Mendy it was a British passenger steamship that was built in nineteen oh five and it sank in nineteen on the twenty-first of February nineteen seventeen in the English Channel, south of the Isle of of white
1: okay.
0: um, killing 646 people mostly black South African troops as well as in a handful of white South African officers and NCO and crew mm. so the Mendi had sailed from Cape Town and was sailing to France for the South African native labor corps to serve in france so again these are a group of men who have not been trained and not been armed and are being taken to serve the british empire in france Um, a lot of these men did not know how to swim Um, a lot of them this was their first time leaving south africa you had 287 men from transvaal 139 from the eastern cape 87 from Natal, 27 from Northern Cape, 28 from the Orange Free State, 26 from Tuland, 8 from Botswana, 5 from Western Cape, 1 from Rhodesia, and 1 from South West Africa. Africa. But most have never seen sea and very, very few could swim. The officers in charge of these black South African men were white South Africans. Shocking. Um, <laughs> your firemen and other crew were mostly west africans and sierra leone and then you had like officers cook signalers gunners who were british hmm. before the ship had gone to south africa it actually stopped in Lagos. yeah let's talk about the the colline okay wartime ships ran dark or with low lights and with inclement weather, visibility was greatly reduced. You know, it's wartime, so you don't exactly want everybody to know exactly where you are because it's not just friendlies in the water. Around 5am on the 21st of February 1917, the SS Darrow, a far larger ship, which was not only running with low lights, but also not blowing her horn to alert others to her presence, And running at full speed Hmm. hit the SS Mendy straight down on the starboard side of the ship. The initial collision killed many. A number of lifeboats were rendered unusable due to the speed at which she heeled over. Hmm. And the ship immediately began to sink. After the SS Dara sped straight into the Mendy, it did not pause to assist or help captain was like <laughs> oops oh man mm-hmm. and kept it pushing it was a hit and run do you know how weird that is like
1: on the water on the, on open, the water. open
0: water like you know people
1: so how how did it get reported who snitched
0: there was an investigation
1: okay
0: um there were witnesses to the disaster and not everyone died mm. so the ss Darrow did not pause and
1: despite being asked to
0: yes D- despite its speeding, and it's in the English Channel and out of right, like it's in friendly waters, mm-hmm. so you know, like the other ships are mostly going to be British. Mm-hmm. Did not blow its horn to indicate that it was around. Mm-hmm. So it was doing it was reckless, reckless driving. Mm-hmm. Right? How did they punish the captain after an investigation found him responsible? How? They suspended his license for one year. Over six hundred men died and they suspended who, who was the captain the captain was captain stomp
1: mm. was he from like a, a notable family this is a Nepal baby because this is so confusing to me like how is this man not in court martial jail or something army prison a navy prison
0: so his name was captain henry winchester Stump. I can give you an extract from the findings in the court, like the court uh, proceedings against him. So, this is what the court said uh, before they simply suspended her sentence. This is from like the judge who's presiding over his case. Mm-hmm. The facts of the case are such that the court is unable to find any excuse for the master's inaction. He knew that his powerful ship, going at full speed, had struck another vessel, a heavy right angled blow, and very soon afterwards that this was the Mendy with troops on board the crew of which had been compelled to take to take to her boats he must have heard for much longer than he admitted the cries proceeding from the water as they were generally heard on board his ship for hours by competent witnesses on duty the magistrate as good as called, stomp a liar there was nothing to have prevented him from sending away boats in the smooth water to ascertain what had happened to the other vessel what the circumstances were and whose cries were being heard he could have sent
1: boats this is an evil man
0: Off his ve- they listened to the cries for, for hours. hours oh god he waited until a second boat had come alongside and until the occupant of a raft had been taken off by his emergency boots.
1: Hmm.
0: And although the occupants of the two boats and the raft were in ex- exhausted condition, he made no inquiries, took no steps, and even then, he took zero steps to ascertain the result of the casualties.
1: Hmm. He, like, yeah, no. he
0: remained in the vicinity doing nothing for nearly four hours. They said that... The court would suspend his certificate, i.e., his license to sail the ship, for 12 months. Even then, people were saying that it was a travesty of justice. Yeah. That a common felon would not receive such a sentence for even a petty crime.
1: So people were saying they were too hard on him.
0: No. People were saying that, like, even just like theft, you get more than you get one. More than like, that, like, of like what the hell is a suspended sentence? Over 600 men died. Like, you listened to them scream for hours. Could
1: have saved.
0: You could have saved like even if you you hit them and yeah. you at least them back boots to help. Like you literally stayed in the vicinity for four hours of listening to men drown. And the guy who handed out the sentence was like, they were in a time of war, you know. And um the like prosecutor basically Interjected, saying, War does not condone murder. Mm-hmm. He said, What of Richardson, the captain of the ship? What of all those officers, all the African soldiers who were left in the freezing water until they succumbed? It's cold blooded murder. That is what it is. Can you imagine?
1: i to say lots of words because it's just plain in my head. It's very visual and I honestly don't know how to process this.
0: The worst part is
1: that. Because the worst part. Okay.
0: I mean, this is the worst part is all these men died, but worse still is that mm-hmm. by allowing these men die in the freezing cold waters far away from home, a lot of them were not buried mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. They were lost to sea, And so their families did not even get the chance to bury their sons. Mm. So, yeah.
1: I genuinely hope that that was something that followed him for the rest of his life.
0: There was... An anecdote that a small group had encircled their white NTO, um until the waves came crashing down. But, however, this is ex- probably unlikely. I'm just made up by a white yeah. <laughs> witness. And
1: they circled him to do uh, to protect him. They
0: said they circled him to do a war dance or something. And I'm like, well, anytime, uh, you know, that's
1: the, jo- my, my yeah. <laughs> that's the problem with primary sources. That's the problem um,
0: with primary sources.
1: What was that even? me? <laughs> Okay,
0: fair enough. But that was the Mendy. Okay, let's come to Nigeria. Third fact for the day.
1: So, Enugu.
0: So, on the 18th of November 1949, yep. 21 striking miners and a bystander were shot dead at a British government-owned coal mine mm-hmm. at Enugu in Nigeria. It was in Iva Valley in Enugu. Okay. And... Um, many men were also injured, um, apart from the 21 who were struck dead. Now, I'll give you some, but I'll give you some background. And also, the Inugu minor, like, this massacre becomes one of like, the catalysts and motivations for the zikist, zikist movement after namdi azikwe mm-hmm. um, for independence so it does a lot in propelling us towards our fight for independence and um, radicalizing a few people fair enough um so it's a key moment in nigerian history and so basically in 1917 the iva valley mines were built to replace the udi coal mines which had been closed okay and subsequently like real right after they built it the working conditions became deplorable of course it's a british government-owned mine Mm -hmm. and you have nigerian workers and it's already hard work mining was already hard work um, and labor rights were on existence and You had cases of racism and physical abuse. Standard. There's actually a case where on the 2nd of September, 1945, a Mr. Yates, a British national, had hit a Mr. Okudili Uji, who took the courage and brought up an assault case against Yates, who was actually prosecuted and penalized. Okay. But... (laughs) The conditions were harsh, and those harsh conditions did not change. And all of this escalated in November of 1949 because the workers were owed back pay. Essentially, they were owed for something called rostering. When, um, so it was a ca- casualization period, period of casualization, I don't know what that means. <laughs> um but they were owed back pay for a period and so they went on strike yeah and when they went on strike over 50 of them were just sacked <laughs> And so, they had occupied the mine in order to prevent a repeat of a lockout that they had suffered during the 1945 general strike. Because there was a strike in 1945. You know, we talked about um, the strikes that were happening in Nigeria during World during War Two, During World War
1: II, yeah. Um, okay. The
0: rationing and everything. So I this I it was one of those, yeah. Yeah, but this is like, they had already had a previous strike in 1945. You know, World War Two ended in 1944. Yeah. 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 Um, but because Enugu was home to the Zikist independent movement which included uh, Marxists and radicals, police were sent to remove the mine's explosives and these police were then accompanied by Hausa troops drafted in from the north of the country right, right? whose language and even their uniforms were unfamiliar to the Igbo miners. The local Igbo constables fraternized with the workers and they knew of the workers and had relationships with the workers so instead of sending the local constables yeah. to remove the explosives they went to the north recruited Hausa men wow. and brought them to Inuku so due to fear of agitations they removed all the explosives from the mines on the 18th of November mhm as they feared the strike was a result of growing agitations for independence. They felt like the strike was not just about the back pay, but that it had grown to include calls for Nigerian independence.
1: Right, okay. So
0: you know one of those things where it's like it starts at one thing and then they feel like this is growing, getting too yeah. far, and there are bombs in those mines, yeah. and we wanting to get <laughs> bombs out of the hands of Nigerian radicals. Yeah. This is the thinking. So after removing all the um, explosives from Obweti mines, which is like a sister mine The explosives at Eva Valley proved to be difficult, especially with the workers refusing to assist management to remove those explosives. The miners feared for themselves that if they allowed them to remove all the explosives, nothing would stand in the way of shut the management shutting down the mine. right um so the man like the british government is thinking the british management thinking they want to use these explosives to fight for their independence and they're thinking if we let them take all the explosives we will have like they can just shut down the mine and we have no say and like Mm. they they basically that's that's the only uh, bargaining chip that we have is are these explosives yeah and essentially it just seemed like everything was going to descend into a bit of a chaotic situation Mm -hmm. a Briton and the senior superintendent of police Captain F.S. Philip was called to the mine along with two other British officers and
1: 75
0: armed policemen to assist in the removal of the explosives. Soon the workers began protesting, singing and fraternizing. Let's
1: keep up morale.
0: Yes. Yeah. However, the white man can't see a singing, a group of singing black men in unison.
1: I'll just go about his day like nothing. No. Okay. Yeah. The
0: racism starts jumping out. He becomes F.S. Um, Philip and his fellow Britons become extremely jumpy. Mm-hmm. According to the nation, to Captain Philip, these were not industrial men conducting a protest, but savage, hysterical natives doing dangerous dances, screeching unintelligible noises, poised to attack.
1: What's a dangerous dance? Dangerous, dangerous dancing. uh uh-uh. It's not like what. Now
0: I'm going to pull back a bit because if I say what happened, right? You want me to go, or you want me to go straight and say I mean, wherever, say? however,
1: helps you tell the story
0: best. Nigerian coal had been of strategic importance during the war, and it continued to be of vital importance to in the rebuilding of post-war UK, mm. and so in order to pay off their debts to the u.s after world war ii and debts to many of the men and the veterans of the armed um warfare Mm -hmm. they didn't have the money like britain didn't have the money Mm -hmm. they had a shortfall in their own british coal fields caused by the war
1: well you know what they had colonies
0: they had colonies and the Enugu coal miners were acutely aware that mm. they had essentially saved Britain's arse during the war, and had been led to believe that their sacrifices would create a better world for themselves. Mm. But this was not the case. Not only, not only was the world not better for them; they are now being owed back pay. Yeah. Like, not only have you refused to keep your promises, or you know build on these dreams you've sold us you're not even paying us what we're owed yeah. and the miners had used their income to develop their communities they had essentially established self-help mechanisms which were once familiar to the mining villages in britain mm-hmm. they had hospitals They had relief funds that they had set up for injured workers and their dependents. They supported maternity clinics, road building, and clean water supplies. They even rejected the British government's mass literacy program that was designed to prepare their children for a life of menial labor. Mm. And instead created permanent stone-built primary and secondary schools. And these their commitments and these things they built and these services they had created for themselves and their communities were now undermined by the economic uncertainty of this rostering mm. and this lack of pay. Mm. So the workers had formed a union mm-hmm. and the general secretary of that union was the Ukudili Oji who had sued Oji was a Zikist. Mm -hmm. And he used his detailed knowledge of colonial labor law and his thorough understanding of its political context Mm -hmm. to run rings around their managers and their bosses. (laughs) Because striking was illegal, he imported a strategy called a kakani. So essentially, it is a go slow tactic. In Igbo, they um, called it and they spent many days in the mines teaching it. So essentially, they weren't striking, but they were working so slow mm-hmm. <laughs> that essentially no work was getting done. Right. One of the bosses tried to insert a layer of bureaucracy between Oji and rank and file by splitting the union into five occupational branches mm-hmm. in violation of Igbo organizational principles. Mm-hmm. They therefore interpreted this as the creation of five autonomous unions, rendering mm-hmm. the negotiation structure redundant mm. the Enugu strike involved different um, you know in the mine you just you have different occupations you have the hewers um, you have the tubmen. men so you have different people who work different um, sections jobs, yeah. and different jobs and they started their own um, go slow essentially they started their own strike uh, mechanisms mm-hmm. at different times mm-hmm. um, after the unions were split now this captain F.S. Philip was a British policeman mm-hmm. So he was getting scared when he saw them dancing and singing. Mm -hmm. And he, of course, was the person who initiated the violence on that fateful day. Mm. Terrified of Africans and fearful of what he thought was communist subversion, a British white man who spoke neither Ibo nor Hausa had been sent to be in charge of this miners' strike. The miners had all tied strips of red cloth on their helmets or clothing as a show of their solidarity to each other. Hmm. However, to Philip, these were paramilitary insignia, (laughs) as was their custom while facing a mass of armed troops they were dancing and singing to keep up their spirits. This panicked Philip who shot dead a young hewer named Sunday Anyasado. Sunday had just recently married and moved to the area to find work. Philip then killed a machine man named Livinus Okechukuma. Hearing the noise, a tub man named Okafo Ageni ventured out of the mine asking what's wrong. He was killed on the spot this began sporadic shooting which continued for several minutes because then mass hysteria and panic just begins Mm -hmm. several miners were shot some were shot in the back and one man called emmanuel careful he was a blacksmith who was shot and he was laying on the floor and emmanuel had said i surrender please i surrender take me to hospital and Philip answered, I don't care, and walked away. Philip had ordered his men to shoot. And at the end of the mayhem, 51 men had been injured and 21 men had been shot dead.
1: That's a massacre.
0: Sunday Anyasado, the hewa from Obazumbezi. Lavernos Okechukuma, the machine operator from Ohi Oweri. Okafor Ageni and Udi Tobman Moses, a machine operator from Umohoho. Simeon, a machine operator from Umbutu. Naji, a hua from Indibara. And Nwaho, an engine driver from Amazu Bendé, And 15 other men. A lot of these men who were martyrs have simply just been kind of forgotten. And have turned into just an urban legend. November eighteenth has never officially been mourned in the history of Nigeria. And now people just talk about the Eva Valley in Inugu being haunted. Mm. In the aftermath of this event, a lot of ethnic, regional, and even class divisions in Nigerian society were set aside and replaced by a collective momentum to do away with the British rule. Mm. I'll read a quote from Nuka Eze. The radicals and the moderates, the revolutionary and the stooges, the bourgeoisie and the workers, sank their differences. Remember the word Nigeria. And rose in revolt against evil and inhumanity. Mm. And that, the massacre of Inugu miners in 1949.
1: In the Ivar Valley. In the Ivar Valley. Terrible story.
0: Have you heard this story before?
1: Nope. But I'm going to definitely read it up. And look it up because it is truly, truly horrific. Truly is. Mm. If you say dumb. It's British people British people yeah I guess that's the theme of this week's episode
0: <laughs> because what what in
1: hell what's in the hell
0: you know so I feel like one part of uh, colonization that's not often spoken about is how much our industries held up their society mm-hmm. like like Our coal, our cocoa, our cotton, our food.
1: The solidarity within the industry, the workers.
0: Yeah. The uh, structures
1: they built around it. Yeah. And how these guys just reacted to all of it. Pure violence. Pure violence. They were building their own school systems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That FS Philip literally shot the first guy in the mouth. Like a kid. He shot a kid. Like, I I think it's so... uh, yeah, I told you I was doing was doing some research on science and uh African, like, and the surgery and the different things that Africans have done um, in in our pre-colonial history, like our advancements before colonization. And something that's always so interesting is that there's just this vicious racism that. Removes the humanity, like strips of strips us of our humanity when they come into contact with us. Mm -hmm. That is not necessary. That we never experience. Like we don't, we never wrote that down in our things. Like we didn't, we didn't see foreigners. I think they were less human or Mm -hmm. less worthy of living or less able to live a full lives or 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 have like full working brains and mm -hmm. full emotional, uh, (laughs) you know, capabilities. Like it's something inherent in their culture Mm. that makes them go to other places and think oh you don't have the ability to feel the way I do Mm. like for you to kill somebody like that you don't believe that they will have a family that will mourn them or that Mm. it's important like you have literally rendered us as less than human and so you don't consider any human considerations in your uh, engagement of us because how can you pull up to people with a whole bunch of guns and they are singing and you're the one who's scared and you're the one who's shooting him down. Like this guy just got married. Now he has a young there's now a young widow. But that that's not considered because like these are 21 men, but that's 21 families.
1: Kind of one. Kind of one.
0: And fifty-one being injured, you don't even know how severe those injuries are.
1: This is honestly one of the worst things I've ever heard about.
0: Anyway. <laughs> Well, um, on that note (laughs) We hope everyone has a lovely week Um, Please remember to follow us on social media and
1: Recommend us to your friends
0: Recommend us to your friends And we have gotten some recommendations And we will be including those in future episodes Um, They are coming um so you can always send you can keep sending we are listening and we're we haven't put them all out yet but uh we're working towards that and um yeah let us know what, what's the most interesting or crazy story that you you have learned through us so far we'd like to know please have <laughs> totally. see ya have a lovely week
1: bye